Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. What's going on, guys? I'm Nadeska, and you're listening to the Everyday Struggle Podcast. Now, as you'd probably expect, we've got a lot of Drake to cover this week since the OVO rapper finally hit us with his double album, Scorpion, on June 29th. 25 songs split into side A and side B makes it Drake's longest album to date, but did this one actually live up to the hype? First impressions when you heard this. Was it worth the double album? Did it live up to the hype? Did he deliver? Did he answer all your questions? Well, we got to start with this particular song. First though, when I heard this was... Fuck, Pusha T ruined my album, man. What? <laughs> I didn't want to hear this bullshit. Like, I mean, I didn't want to hear that. I didn't want him... It felt like... I, I had my thoughts overall on the album, then I had my thoughts on some things I was like... Like, it was one of those I'm like, huh? It felt like Pusha T forced my man to go back and kind of change a couple around... Mm-hmm. Like, change around a couple things to help explain it. So mm-hmm. spottedly through the whole double album, he's addressing... I'm like, ain't no dead beast. The only beasts that are dead, the one that I'm on. I'm like, <laughs> like, it's an answer to push your T. And then he like, he tries to answer some things about seeing his son. And, oh, I just found out. And mama told me it only took one time. It only took one time. I get it all that. It felt like he had to go change some lines. Right. He took out some verses, probably put in some, some new lines to kind of make, make sense. And for me, when I was thinking about this album, I don't think this was the direction that Drake was going to take. I think Pusha T kind of pigeonholed him into this is going to be the response album. And for that, it kind of ruined the mood for me. But overall, the songs are great. Most of them. Okay. Side A for me, fire. Mm -hmm. Okay. And I think that's probably his best offering that he could give for a rap album classic, which I have mixed thoughts on. I like it. Rap album classic? Yeah, because it's a, it's a rap and insane album, right? Mm-hmm. If if I'm thinking we're separating them, he's trying to at least do his best version of a rap album and his best version of a R&B or at least singing, whatever you Wait, want no, to call Wait, no, do it. you feel like he gave his best version of both? I didn't call it classic. I said that's his best offering. Mm-hmm. The whole thing was, was people always said that, hey, if he ever did that, he would get a classic. Well, it's not no classic. Um... What, was, what did you say? Oh, again? I'm just curious if you felt he executed well in terms of like the okay. rap on the R&B side. I felt like this album was very white flagish, and what I mean by that is like in the middle of the war, it's like you kept like explaining to us about your son. Now, I, I was cool with like one song. I really liked. I like the song where he like talks to his son. Mm-hmm. I like that song, but 
it's like he kept saying this shit. Like he be rabbited himself throughout the whole thing, right? On the rap side, when I first listened to it, rap side was like, I, I didn't hear it loud. So I was just listening from my phone and it was really late. I didn't get a chance to really dig in. But after I listened to the rap side, I actually liked majority of rap side. The R&B side, I could have did without the whole shit. Like I could have did without the whole shit. It's very like genuine-ish. Like it's very <laughs> tankish. Like it's just really full on like, it's not even like, hold on, we going home R&B. It's just like very, it, like genuine pony shit, like for real. But overall, on the rap side, I like the fact that he did go back to, you know, well, I wouldn't say go back because he always works with Boy Wonder, right? Always works with Boy Wonder, always works for 40. I like the fact that he worked with No ID. I didn't even know until this morning that DJ Premier did Sanders Rose. I thought that No ID did that. So that's ill for him to be at the height of his career to get with, with Primo. Yeah, he didn't say you could get scratched like Primo. I didn't catch that. I mean, I caught it, but I, I thought he was just realize he was shouting him out. Yeah, Yeah, the production is dope, and we could dig in more. I'm curious, Ak, did you feel the same way about the R&B, yeah. R&B side of the okay. project? Because when he dropped the project, right, there was a note that said, like, yeah, I know, I know. You hate yeah. when I sing, you hate when I rap, this or that. So this is what I was saying, right? Like, the rap side, I think we probably have to come to terms that the traditional classic Drake will never attain, even if he just raps. Mm-hmm. Because side A should have been that, right? If we if we always been thinking whenever he just raps only, he's gonna give us a classic. Side A really good, but it doesn't make me feel like it's a classic. Um, again, I like I, 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 I mean I like everything he was addressing, but I feel like he was really going towards again the kid thing fucked him up. But I think he was really going towards his issues with Ye, his deal and other issues he's having at this particular point in his career. Also, I believe like some of the songs and some of the subject matter we're used to him talking about, I definitely think he, he scratched some of those. He been rapping about every chick he met at a Waffle House, a strip club, uh, his high school crush for like at least a, his whole career. This time around, he kind of like switched up a couple of things. Mm-hmm. Like he was trying to not rap about certain things like he used to. How much do you think he went back and changed this in the midst of the push-up? It sounds like he changed a lot of it. And honestly, my only problem with it is that he's just kind of finding new ways to say the same shit. Because mm-hmm. it sounds like the same shit he's always been saying, but he's just finding new ways to say it. And I never subscribed to that whole him, well, Jay-Z dissing shit. Because remember you saying that, I, I never thought that Jay-Z was dissing him, ever. Now, it's a lot of songs on here. Me personally, I could do without. Mm-hmm. And on the B side, Wait, what's, what's I could do without the. What's I could do without shit? that nonstop talk up. Nah, talk up is hard. I fuck with talk up. But I'm talking about like talk up summer summer games. That shit is trash. 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 So how could the album be really good if it's if you it got trash songs on it? Well, it's a double album. It is, and, but it's still a, and, and a whole body of yeah, work. And, well, I mean, you could have a good album with a trash song. You How can many? have a classic No, you said album. a okay. very good album. How many songs out of 25 are really good songs or great songs? The majority. The majority, like, I'm 20 upset it's trash. 20 out of 25? Trash. Okay. I'm upset it's trash. Summer Games is trash. Um, pretty much other than that, everything is mediocre or good. Mm. You get me? Wait, so, every, wait. <laughs> you said, uh, you named a few. You said everything else songs. is mediocre. No, no, they fit in the category of either good or mediocre. Not every song is just good. Some songs just all right. Then the album is just all right. No, most of them are good. 
Most of the songs on there are good. There's, yo, it's 25 songs. Actually, listen to this album, it's a double album. Mm -hmm. It kind of made me think, I had to go back and listen to like old double albums that people consider yeah, classic. You know why? It's so hard to make 25 songs. If this shit was crunched down to 18 songs and it was one album, it might be better. Or not even 13. It would be better. Mm -hmm. It, it would have been better with 13, but somebody told me that this shit was going to be the best double album since Life After Death. Like, people were just jumping out the fucking window right. with this hype. Like, it's ridiculous. Like, Pusha T definitely changed his narrative on this shit because he, he went back and had to change a lot of stuff. And that's why I said, like, in the middle of the war, mm -hmm. You changed your whole album. I think he could have kept a lot of his shit the same. He could have dressed his son one time. Mm -hmm. It's just like a very apologetic album. Like, the whole shit is in a pot. Like, I wasn't doing that. I wasn't doing this. I was really doing this. But y'all shouldn't feel this way because this is how I really feel. My man Drake, he's a spin artist, man. He's a con, <laughs> he's a con man. My, my man said I wasn't hiding my kid from the world. I was hiding my wor the world from my kid. Yes, the time. that shit? Not, not only that, man, it's the first time ever I've ever heard a dad get on a song and flex about baby gifts. I got you 20 of those. And then my man says some shit like, I got an empty crib in my empty crib, Word. but I only saw you once. Oh. Listen, the set's Our falling apart. I don't know. Like, they can't believe this shit. All I'm saying, man, is Drake, I would, I, 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 I'm not a fan of him just constantly rapping about his kid. That's not a Drake I like. But I understand that's what's going on during his life. I feel he should have dropped the Pusha T disc, get that out of the way, and get back to what he does. Again, you could, of course, address your son because this is something new and really life-changing that's going on. But even the tone he was talking about some of these subjects, it sounded like it was embarrassing to him. Mm -hmm. it, felt, it, felt like, it felt like he was... He even said it. He was like, yo, I'm ashamed to admit I'm a single dad. Right. I'm ashamed. <laughs> right? Like, he wasn't... It didn't feel like this was a moment where he's accepted it and he's now, like, ah, super you know happy. You know what's crazy, Act? With your critique, I feel like it's not really Drake Day. Like, I don't... You don't seem as happy as I thought you would. No, no, no. Only on this particular subject. We're talking about him admitting that he got a son, which is on a couple of records. Right. But we have other records on there that he's not talking about that, which I fucking love. Like, Mob Ties, absolutely love it. I mean, he didn't mention a line on 8 out of 10. I love that song as well. I feel like the Emotionless and March 14th, mm -hmm. two songs that I believe either were written after, well, March 14th supposedly was written the day after he found out. Mm -hmm. And uh, Emotionless was really just him reacting to everyone else getting at him about having a son or him being exposed. So that's where he drops the line, I wasn't hiding my kid from the world, I was hiding the world from my kid. So when we talk about him addressing his child, yeah, it gives a, it, it overcasts the, the um, the album with a certain type of mood. But the records are good. If we really go down the track listing, track for track, it's pretty good. Let's do it, because I want to hear good, great, mediocre. I mean, the song he got with City Girls on there, that shit is fucking fire. Ratchet, happy birthday, that's fucking fire. You get me? M nonstop, fire. Mob ties, fire. Y you know what? Again, the songs that, you know, like he always has like a Western road of flows. He always has these songs that he kind of, it's introspective. Just kind of like reflects on where his life is at. Mm. Those songs are just about his kid. And that's where his life is at that moment. It looks bad. It looks bad because whether he was going to do it anyway, Pusha T beat him to the gun. And that's why he probably should have, 
if Push was right about uh, he was going to announce the kid as a press run, he should have probably just put it out in the air a long time ago. Sometimes you got to you got to throw your own well the best dirt way into the, the, air. the best way to win a war is to mess up somebody's money. And I mean of course Drake is we all knew that Drake was going to break every record and all of that. We all said that. But to me, this album didn't live up to for me what I thought it was going to be. It's not as good as I thought it it, it had the potential to be. We'll spend some more time with Scorpion and revisit it later down the line. But for now, here's what academics and Wayno had to say about XXXTentacion's emotional video for Sad, which was released shortly after his memorial service. What do you guys think, especially, you know, of course, when it was released? I believe this is the video of the year for me. Uh, maybe I'm a little biased because I'm a little close to the situation. And also I had pre a lot of conversations where he was describing this video. Mm -hmm. um, even publicly when we had our three-hour, like, Twitch conversation. He was describing what's seen here, which is he used to be a kid, again, anger issues. He did a lot of things that he was, wasn't necessarily proud of, but he was trying to change and he changed. So um, he was really trying to also change people's perception of him, mm -hmm. where people perceived him as this young kid who's done so many crazy and bad things. He was trying to re reinvent himself. Uh, very very uh, well, you know, it's a, it's a it's a video that kind of when now that you realize that he passed, it, it's a little eerie. Mm. But I did speak to his mom, and you know what? Which was so crazy. She said she said this video fucked her up, and she said I saw this video for the first time the night before it got released, which was wow. after his death, mm. and it was the first time she saw. You can imagine a mother seeing that, and it really shook her up. But you know what? She did respect his vision even before he died to to have that be the visual for this particular song. X is someone who, again, battled depression and other mental issues. And while he wasn't a guy who was necessarily on medication, he used music to medicate mm -hmm. and he tried to help others who were afflicted just like him. So again, these visuals and the songs and even this message will continue to live on. But I will say very powerful video. In my opinion, um, it's the best video of the year. Um, well, I mean, what this reminded me of, well, one time 50 Cent, he said on a song, in the Bible I read, death is at its tongue, and if you talk about death enough, death is going to come, right? And when you look at X's career, you know, it's very short-lived, right? It's very short-lived. It's a lot of death, right? Now, it doesn't mean that that's exactly why he died, right? But he spoke about death a lot, and it reminds me a lot of Tupac. You know, when Tupac died, he put out I Ain't Mad At You. And in I Ain't Mad At You, he died, and his man was coping with his death, and he was his man's angel and always on his shoulder. And in terms of, like, a lot of rappers that passed away, when you look at Biggie, his first album was called Ready to Die. His second album was called Life After Death. It's like all of these different things where I, I don't know if they foresaw, they foresaw death in their future directly, but their music kind of led them to that in a sense. Mm -hmm. As far as like the subject matter and the visuals. And it's like with X, what I got out of the video that I did like was he was killing off the old version of himself right. to kind of go in a new direction, you know? Mm -hmm. But I'm just not a, and I mean, maybe this is new. I'm just not a a person big on, like, always speaking death. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, 
if you're always speaking it, it's gonna come in different ways. It might, might not not necessarily happen to you, but if you put certain things into the universe, they come back a certain way. Yeah, I understand people you know? that. You put things out, you manifest them. and I, 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 I do believe uh, now in, so, in, not even some, but a lot of the music for a lot of these new artists, they look at death as not only the inevitable, but they look at as death as an escape. So mm -hmm. when you hear most of them, they're singing about issues. I could go back to Lil Peep. He had a song, it was a great song actually, called Better Off Dying. That's horrible, right? though. Um, you look at Uzi. The thing that, the, the thing, you know, but, Uzi one of my favorite artists, but, and, but people don't realize, if you really look at, just read through the lyrics of most Uzi songs. Most of the songs, he's basically saying he's numb to all of this, right. he can't feel, and honestly, he doesn't care if he's here or not. And he's, he's not almost... like that in life, though. He's not like okay, that in well, life. Well, I wouldn't know. I don't know him yeah, that he's... personally. I, I'm sorry. I don't mean to cut you off, but I'm, I'm just tired of this shit. Like, what the fuck is these kids so sad about? Like, that, that's what... that You, you motherfuckers is making $50,000 a night. My thing is, is like, stop calling about death all the time. Mm. Like, what... Was everybody's bad? A lot of people battle a lot of different things, but a lot of them just be making this shit because it's the end thing to do. When when I was growing up, the end thing to do was to have bars and metaphors and all of that shit. And I feel like a lot of these kids, I wouldn't say that they're not going through shit, but I feel like a song about death is just making you think of like when something's not that serious, mm -hmm. you like, oh, I just want to die. You should never be making no fucking song about how it's better to die. As a, as a young kid, like that shit is disgusting and it's a larger issue because we desensitized like we was talking about yesterday mm -hmm. with these kids and being able to pick up their phone and see people getting shot in their head and getting murdered and all that other shit. That shit is disgusting. I'm a father. So it's like I can't I can't jack a kid talking about some, oh, I'm so sad. The world is so sad. And, and for what? Yeah, I mean, look, growing up is tough, and especially growing is, up in this like, sort of social media generation, I think a lot of kids, like, although they have so much more exposure, they're more lonely, they're more depressed, and so, like, growing up, like, I connected with Eminem because I understood all the shit he was frustrated about, but yet, to your point, when some people die. are doing it, uh, yeah, I know, like, when people are doing it just for money, that's you know what, what I mean? Then, then it becomes Because these motherfuckers is driving, like, they talk about something, I, I want to die, and then you're driving a Lambo, yeah. throwing fucking money in the air, but you want to die. Like, it's, it's hard for me to tell, like, who's genuine and who's not, right. so I, I just kind of, like, I believe you in your own sense and also only you and God know. But the way I look at all of this, right, is, and I think Lil Xan most recently is probably the epitome of it. I look at it like some of these kids were born to situations where their parents may be on drugs, right? Again, all these chemical imbalances, I, I don't know. Again, I'm speculating. But here in Lil Xan, I remember on a video that went viral recently when he went live and like his manager cut it off where he said that, yo, like, my dad was a crackhead. And I know a lot of people took jokes in that, but obviously his name is Lil Xan. He used to have a Xanax addiction. His, he got predisposed to, to drugs and kind of almost led into it because of his parents. Mm -hmm. You get me? So now he's a little bit, like his shit is a little off and now he, he might be medicating or not. He is going to have, I, I, he's not going to think normally. Again, I can't, I can't resonate with it. Mm -hmm. And I remember, listen, one of, I, I can tell you this quick story before we get off this topic. I remember X, when he dropped 17, he called me and said, listen, I, he said, I'm going to send you this album. I want you to go in a room and I want you to turn off all the lights and sit there and listen to it. And I said, X, what the fuck is you talking about? This ain't one of your fans. I'm, because it was a depressed album. Okay. This album he said that was for depressed people. And I said, X. I could listen to the album like I listen to everything else, 
but I'm not depressed, okay? And I'm not gonna try to be depressed to enjoy this album. So again, who knows if all these things are sincere with everyone, but uh, all I will say, whether it's through Listen, music or otherwise, I, I hope they get help. Listen, man, I, I feel you, but like, a lot, most of these rappers, period, be liars. A lot, majority of them is liars. They lie about everything, by how they live in. A lot of them lie about how they grew up and all of that shit. And then some, and I can only say that, I don't, I, it's a case by case basis, mm -hmm. but like, I can only say that from how long I've been in the game and how many rappers I've been around, right? And, and like, like, like we both agreed on, like a lot of them is doing that because that's the end thing to rap about this type of shit. And my thing is, is you send a lot, you sending a lot of people down the wrong path. It's a lot of rappers that be talking about drugs that they don't even use. Fuck out of here. I'm just, I'm sorry. I'm not, and this is not towards X. I'm just saying a lot of them is like using one thing to make an excuse to be one way. And I'd be damned if I let my son get hooked on drugs because some rappers talking about being sad. And if I yell at him, yeah. he's going to be sad and say, oh, you know what? I'm going to pop a Zanny because my father's upset at me. The fuck out of here. Excuse me, y'all. I do and, think some of the fans that try to. It's, I see. I've seen fans try to like be like, "Oh, they try to get depressed yeah, to no, fit in." That's not supposed yeah, to be. That's, that's corny. You're supposed to find solace in the music and then be able to grow and evolve. It should be your yeah. therapy. It shouldn't make just you watch what you put out in the universe. Want to be suicidal or anything like that? You yeah, know. Watch what you put out in the universe. Facts. Yeah, but R.I.P. Uh, to X. And finally, my favorite conversation of the week, academics Wayno and I revisited Kendrick Lamar's 2011 album Section 80 to see how it's aged over the past seven years and to see how he's evolved as an artist since then. I'm gonna say something a little bit crazy and then let you guys take it from here. Okay. I personally think this is a perfect album and it has aged incredibly well. But what did you guys think? First impressions when the album dropped and now seven years later. That's what you the think boldest shit I've heard you say. It's really not that bold, but I just feel passionately <laughs> enough about this to you say that. You never said that about a Cole album, but God right, damn. Let's, let's hear your thoughts, academics. <laughs> uh, when it first dropped, I, I just thought it was, like, honestly, I was in college, and, and this was, like, studying music for me along with Chief Keef. <laughs> Trust me. I, all that shit worked together when, when, when it was just good music to just listen to it, you can listen to it from start to end. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. It was one of the only albums, I believe, of that time. Uh, well, I, there was a couple other ones. My Beautiful Dark Twisted Fantasy, Common, um, Fine and Forever album mm -hmm. was dope for me, too. But this was... it. it it played all throughout well. I remember it was, I went to Rutgers University. It was such a favorite of not only just me, but just like students that went there. Like I remember 
uh, festival we did at the school that I DJed. Kendrick, that's the first time I saw him. Mm-hmm. And when he performed, I was like, this is cool now, but this nigga is definitely not going to be around for like three years. He, I was wow. also surprised by how short he was. It's the first, time I've, first and only time I've seen him in person. Then. Really? But that's before, we booked him for like $3,000. Like, seriously. Wow. Like, and I think, I think every one of them came. Uh, Schoolboy came and Absol. So this was like early, early yeah, shit. Very early. Yeah, and I watched him before, and I liked how he had a stage presence, even though, like, it wasn't the biggest crowd. It wasn't like... It was maybe like a thousand people mm. and it was outdoors but he had a great stage presence and i was like you know what he's gonna be a solid artist but i would never think the glow up would turn to what it is now mm. um i i did kind of catch some of the messages and messages in his music to say if he continues that route maybe this could happen but mm. I, I never saw this happening come on now. well i agree with you that it's a perfect a perfect project this was the I, this is the first time I gave Kendrick a real shot in terms of listening because mm-hmm. oh, I liked Overly Dedicated, which the heart part two is when I really knew he was no joke lyrically, right? But this was, what, seven years ago, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm I'm at the tail end of my 20s at this time, <laughs> the tail end of my 20s. And I had seen him perform at Sneaker Pimps around when this came out, um, Gramercy Theater. And I remember being in a crowd with Kendrick performing and him telling everybody to put their hands up and pay, people looking at him like, no. I mean, so I didn't, I wouldn't say I didn't see it coming because I really believed after I heard Section 80 that he was going to be on to something. I didn't know it would be of this magnitude. Like, right. he's a superstar. It's crazy because the, the lyrics are great, of course. Right. The actual content, all the stuff he's speaking on, still important, still super relevant. And the production's great. But I'm wondering, is it because of Kendrick's message is why, we, not that we didn't think he would be great, but necessarily would become this level of, he's a pop star at this point. He's still ours, right? But yeah, absolutely. He's, he's pop star still. level. But maybe it's because his music, the messages were always so serious. Maybe people didn't think that would translate into like sort of mainstream success, but clearly has. Yeah, I mean, I, I 100% chalked him up to be just a backpack rapper who would, of course, garner a lot of respect. But to be the person who was performing at the Grammys and late night shows, and he's pretty much still stayed in his element, where he's not just like, all right, you know what I mean, peace out, let me just go hit the pop sound real quick. I mean, of course, some of his songs might be a little bit more melodic now. I, I never thought that he would gain that acceptance. And I mean, shit, I still even look at him getting to where he is, and I'm try, like, I still look at the different factors that kind of play into it, because like, I, you see other artists, they kind of like uh, complain, they're like, hey, look at this guy and how he gets accepted, but I kind of do similar stuff and I don't. You get me? So um, I think it's a very unique situation of how his career is going, but I think it's a, definitely a testament to the type of person he is and an artist and someone who doesn't compromise or doesn't quote-unquote sell out. Well, I think he's like, to me, Kendrick is a one-of-one, one, right? Like, the, we've never seen anything like him prior, um, and I don't think there's going to be anything like him going forward. His sound and his direction has always just been Compton. Like, no matter what year it is, he always lets you know the issues of what's going on in Compton. And what was so ill about a lot of stuff that he did on Section 80 is he tied it to other stuff he did on Good Good Kid, Mad City. Mm -hmm. So the stories, um, he talks about uh, Keisha on Section 80. And then, then, um, what song is that? Uh, Sing About Me on Good Kid, Mad City, right. he talks about her sister confronting him about talking about Keisha and her going down the same path. So the thing is, is like, 
to me, he's been like one of the, he's gonna go down as one of the greatest artists ever in terms of hip hop and just music, period. He won a Pulitzer Prize. Like, yeah. You know what I mean? I mean, who saw this coming when he did Section 80? That shit is crazy. And this is only seven years ago. All right, so looking at Kendrick's discography, can you guys sort of chart the moment where you sort of realized that this guy was going to be a superstar? Oh. So Section 80, 2011, Good Kid, again, incredible album, 2012. To Pimple Butterfly, some people didn't love that so much, still great content. And of yeah. course, Damn came out last year. So let's just get to Good Kid, Mad City. Around that time, when Kendrick started rolling out those songs and the videos, how were we feeling about him at that point compared to Section 80? Um, you want to go first, Zach? I know. I knew that nigga was about to just explode when, again, I'm in college. When I seen every time, like, they started playing um, a Mad City, like, in, in parties, mm-hmm. and, like, G- just that opening, white kids is going crazy for it. <laughs> and it's not like, oh, shit, that's just a guy who can... It was like, yo, this song, not only is it great, like, lyrically, but this is, this is just phenomenal. And um, that's what I knew. I was like, all right, he's out of here. Like, he's left the little bubble of, like, I'm thinking he's a backpack rapper for certain moods or certain types. You could listen to him, like, sporadically. Like, this guy's out of here. So for me, it was the Good Kid, Mad City album. Like, when that album came out, I, I had this thing where, like, you know when we would still go on, like, websites to click on whatever new song was coming out? I mean, this is when SoundCloud wasn't as strong, mm-hmm. right, when that came out. So on Twitter, everybody's talking about the album, so I made sure I stayed off of it. I, le- I waited for a few days. I remember one of my friends, right, he called me. He's an executive. He called me like 5 o'clock in the morning, I'm, and I sent him some beats from my, from my producers. I'm thinking he's calling me for that. He calls me 5 o'clock in the morning, and I missed the call, and I call him. I'm like, yo, what's up? He's like, yo, did you hear Kendrick's album, yo? You know some shit when you got to phone a friend. Yo, yeah, 5 <laughs> in the morning, though. I mean, of course, he's in L.A., so he called me at 2 daytime, but that still was late. Wow. And... Listening to Good Kid, Mad City, which I consider, I consider that album a classic. Um, that album made me happy. That shit made me cry. It made me feel a lot of different ways. And that's the first time in a long time a piece of music or a piece of art had made me go through a lot of different emotions. That's when I knew he was going, like, he was in here forever, you know, um, was Good Kid, Mad City. Because for him, how he structured the album, he started it like a, like a Quentin Tarantino movie. Like, the end starts at the beginning. You hear the praying part and everything, but that's actually a little down the line when the kid gets shot. Now, yeah. you go into their whole lives and that whole day. And ultimately, like, when he rolled it out, he got to tell his perspective of Compton and gang culture in a way we ne- had never heard it. We got, we got to hear it from a street perspective and a conscious perspective. And anybody who listens to, like, Good Kid, Good kid Mad City... You got to ask yourself, if you're a kid, well, I, I wouldn't say just a kid, but like a teenager, and you're trying to figure out who you are and all of that, mm-hmm. don't join no gang. Because this is like this. Good Kid, Mad City is the, the movie that you watch that you say, nah, I'm not going to do that shit. You know? It's true. It's very true. And so after putting out this album, incredibly successful, again, great content, great production, great mm-hmm. big singles that you could dance to at parties, etc. Then we get to Pimp a Butterfly which was like a turn when you're comparing it to everything that came before and also damn. And we're talking about Untitled, Unmastered as well. Again, incredible content, but a lot of people didn't find it necessarily the easiest thing. So around this point, how were we feeling about Kendrick's moves? But I think also to his credit that he could put out this album and then come back and give us a damn sort of, I think people respected him even more for it. Right. Well, with To Pimp a Butterfly, um, 
I think that's one of those albums that like flies over a lot of people's heads mm -hmm. because like they expected a lot of what they expected on Good Kid, Mad City, and it wasn't the same. Like in my terms of rating, you know, I always go by fives, you know, the five, the five system. I think um, To Pimp a Butterfly was like a strong four. Mm -hmm. um, by this time, I thought it was just ill that he he jumped into making the type of music he made. He had, um, what's his name, George Clinton on there. Like for a guy his age to put George Clinton on a song and then he had um, Snoop on records. He had the record where he was uh, going back and forth with Tupac. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, remember he kept saying, I remember he was convicted. It's like the whole album, he's, in, he's talking to Tupac. Yeah. And at the end, they have the, like, the conversation. Um, it was good, but I don't think like, everybody expected it. It was like something expect unexpected, but it wasn't something that you didn't want. Exactly. You know? Still important message. Well, well uh, to Pimper Butterfly for me, severe left turn from um, Good Kid Mad City. But what it taught me about Kendrick is what we see now, even with all the success, that he's not going to compromise mm -hmm. and he's not going to follow trends or he's not going to just make things or music or give us whatever we feel will just make his career put it on a bigger like pedestal or just make it bigger. Like he's going he's gonna to make the music that honestly his heart really tells him to make mm -hmm. and also what's true to his message. And I thought it's a phenomenal album. Actually, I think it's, for that year, I, I thought it was the best album, but definitely not the most enjoyable. Okay. I didn't listen to it a lot after I listened to it the first couple of times. It didn't have much replay value, but it was amazing. It was amazing. It just wasn't enjoyable. And, and I know for some people, they can't understand both. Yeah, right? It, like, I thought lyrically it was phenomenal. Okay. But it, it, it's not the shit that would throw on constantly. Yeah, right? It's definitely not because something to throw on all the time. I, I remember comparing that to, uh, what, what year was this? So, to pimp, uh, it's 2015. I remember, um, if you're reading this, It's Too Late came out that year, right? We, we always compare Drake and Kendrick. Drake shit is just enjoyable. Polar opposites. Yeah, it's yeah, it's, 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 it's enjoyable. Is it necessarily, um, does it have deep message, messages? Does it tell a story? Mm -hmm. Uh, is it super lyrical? Absolutely not. And it couldn't compare to, to Pimp a Butterfly. But you do know, like, it, it's a little bit more enjoyable and you, replay value is a thing. Mm -hmm. So for me, after he came off to Pimp a Butterfly, and of course, Untitled also fit in that little mix too, mm -hmm. I, was, I, I was thinking, is Kendrick almost going on a, is he reverting as an artist, right? Where he's had that, commercial success in th that all the accolades that comes with dropping a good kid Mad City. Now he just wants to make what he just really wants to make. Well, he wants and to could, make. He, yeah, could he strike that balance? So for them, I was pleasantly surprised. That's why it's the album of the year for me. Yeah. To yeah. so, right? Pimp, so Pimp a Butterfly, like, my favorite video off of that was, like, These Walls. I mean, he had Terry Crews was in there. Like, I, I like, it was, the whole thing was concept driven and, like, we gonna be all right. Around that time when we gonna be all right came out, I mean, we're always faced with like a young black man losing their hands. But at, at the, that time, yeah. It was but just at that time, it was back like back to back to back. I think was, we were just having a hard time as a culture. It was, it was a soundtrack for a movement. It was a soundtrack yeah. for a time in life. We like, gonna be alright. And you go and, back to 2015, 2014. Like, if we one thing you got to say about Kendrick, and of course you could definitely say about Cole too. And there's other rappers too. But like, yo, he definitely took the flag on for social issues. Like, he wasn't the guy that says, you know right. what. 
I'm not going to uh, I'm not going to compromise my work to address all these things. He, he definitely but, took the fly. So, yeah, like going back to Pimple Butterfly, like that, these walls, um, Lucy, Lucy in the Lou where it's like a lot of people thought he was talking about Suge Knight on that. It was like like con- it, everything on there was concept driven. Um, even um, Black of the Berry, where he said a lot of things about, because remember, he said, why did I weep? When um, Trayvon Martin was in the streets, when gangbanging make a nigga make me kill a nigga blacker than me, hypocrite, and that's when the, like it kind of sparked the um, the conversation of social issues that he was having within the hood. Mm-hmm. Like, how can we have this public outcry for this, but we murder and slaughter each other? But then he started comparing gangs to being like tribal. Like, it's a lot of shit you gotta really listen to on this album. Yeah. Um, but to Pimple Butterfly, then to Damn, right? Crazy, crazy right. that he could go from that project to Damn, because at that point we didn't know what to expect. Right. But before we get to Damn, I would like to say I thought you made a very good point about Kendrick never compromising. It feels like when artists hit a certain level of success, they start just taking checks that don't even make sense. I remember when Kendrick did, you know, he had the Reebok collaboration, right. and it was all about sort of this gang unity thing. Right. Even in his business, it's just like he can't help it. You know what I mean? Like that message bleeds through. And I think a lot of that, it comes from, you know, him not forgetting who he is. Like, the thing is, is like, you know, rappers always say, oh, no, nah, I'm in the hood. I think it's like this dumbass concept to be from the hood and make it out of the hood and then say, because I made it out, now I'm going to stand here all the time. No, you don't need to stand there, but you do need to give examples and set examples for people that they can do something to. So doing a collaboration with Reebok. At the time, I was a brand ambassador for Reebok Mm -hmm. at the time, and the whole message was unity because what was the song on there? The heart. Was it, was it, damn, what was the song? Oh, I can't remember, but yeah, the symbol, he had the symbol on the Right, and it was like the hand, the artwork was, yeah, exactly. And it was putting red and blue together, and for him to be at that height and to still do something like that said a lot about him, but he doesn't forget where he comes from. Also, when you look at Kendrick, He's did the numbers doing what he wants to do. So why would he ever compromise? Like, he doesn't have to. He can talk about, ex- like J. Cole. J. Cole can talk about exactly what he wants to talk about. He, has to, he doesn't have to make the club banger or the drink that's going to heat the streets up. He has his time and his trajectory because he has a grassroots fan base. Mm-hmm. You know so? We always got to realize that what happens, and we've seen it. I could name 10 other musicians that we've seen this with. With more success, and just success in general, as you grow, it becomes a kryptonite to creativity. Mm-hmm. And it becomes the kryptonite to freedom, artistic freedom. You almost become formula driven because, well, this is what works. You become the person chasing trends and just trying to stay on top or stay at a position you, that success has brought you to. So now you're scared to really even just, that's why even sometimes, you know, we kill even Kanye, but like you have to respect it sometimes. Mm-hmm. You got to respect someone who gets to the top and then says, fuck it. I remember w- watching um, a Lauryn Hill conversation and she says, you know, I mean, for her, like she said, life is about um, learning and mastery. And, and she was saying that people like staying on top of a molehill and trying to just elongate that process of being on top. Mm-hmm. But like the true genius is like they could walk away from that, do something else and then master that new thing and then flip it back around and do something else. I think... What Kendrick did and going into Damn, mm-hmm. he learned from To Pimp a Butterfly because his message was great and it was definitely conveyed, but to have it 
um, really digested by the masses, literally he had to do like the famous term. He had to put the medicine in the candy, right? So he but had to make it a little bit more happened? digestible to the masses. I wonder if he felt that. But since we knew from Section 80 and Good Kid that he could have the message and also have incredible songs that he could perform live here at the club. Um, and then came uh, to Pimp a Butterfly and then Damn. I, don't, um, I wonder if he sort of, after that, was like, I have to get back to sort of records that could be mo more well-received, or did he just want to do To Pimp a Butterfly? Like, he wanted that project to be done. He was like, this was for me, like what Kanye right. calls his Yeezus or whatever, although, whatever. Right. Um, and then <laughs> he's like, all right, cool, and let's get back to, you know, regularly scheduled programming. I, I, well, I never thought of it in those terms, but I think it may seem that, like, I think that that, that could be something real, that that's something that he wanted to get off of his shoulders. And then ultimately, it's a like a concept-driven album almost, but it's not it's not his best effort, but it's not like his worst by far. Like when you look in terms of consistency, because we're not talking about all the in-between shit. So after Good Kid Mad City, what, him wait, having what, what would you rank any album above The Purple Butterfly? If I'm listening to you, it sounds like would I rank And his, we're gonna get his to rankings too. Yeah, we're gonna rank all of them. But yeah, we definitely can rank all of them. Um Damn, I got thrown off a bit. But okay, so in between, we're not look, looking about all the in between things. So remember, after Good Kid, Mad City, he has the bitch don't um, bitch don't the, the kill my vibe remix with Hov. Right, right. That takes him to another level. You know what I mean? Like he had all these things that took him to another Who level. Who got you on that record, by the way? Yo, you know what's so funny? All right, so the first verse, I'm Kendrick's first verse is regular. Mm -hmm. Hov's verse is crazy, but Kendrick's second verse is insane. So I got to give it to Kendrick. But um. No? No, no, no. I, actually, I fuck with the whole shit on that. It's good, but yeah, Kendrick. Yeah, well, his second verse was insane. But even when... Right you, on that. Yeah, that's the second verse. Is yeah. Black Swan the second verse? I haven't listened to that I song. Actually, like, I also yeah. like that the remix. Uh, so with Jay and I think, is it Gaga doing the hook? Like, they, there's another remix that wasn't that popular. But, like, it was, like, Gaga doing, like, the, the, the hook. And then wow, I barely remember this. Yeah, yeah. Did you holy shit. Yeah, I, yeah. yeah. And, and then Jay and Kendrick and yeah, I, I thought I always play that version wow. because like uh, it felt more like I don't know, it felt different. Gotcha. Now I mean, in in between to Pimple Butterfly, that's when like a lot of the records that came on Untitled and Master between Good Kid, Mad City and to Pimple Butterfly, because there's a lot of stuff. I think he was on Jimmy Fallon and he did some shit, and I was like, oh, I can't wait to hear this on his next album, and it wasn't there. So then you get into Untitled, which we don't have on the list, but... Um, because get, it like, technically was... Yeah, it was not was really it, yeah. an album, but in, in terms of consistency... It felt like it was songs from To Pimp a Butterfly. Right. And in terms of consistency, he's one of the most consistent with how he stays in his pocket without having a scrutiny like Cole, where we like, Cole, you need to rap on some different shit. Mm -hmm. Like, we're not saying that about Kendrick. Kendrick has had, like, the same type of message somewhat, and he stays where he's at. And it's different every time. So in terms of consistency he's, consistency, he's been one of the most consistent. Yeah, I'm so amazed these days when I see that nigga on like some late night show and he's basically just with the most pro-black message ever. And I could see the, 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 the audience is like all white and they're loving it. I'm like, talking to half you motherfuckers right here, you know, right? Uh, again, I'm super happy for, for, of course, all success. But I will say... Untitled, that's when he lost me a little bit. I was like, Kendrick, come on. We get it, but again, I feel like it's, that was part of the Pimple Butterfly, yeah, the but songs it's, that it's, he was in. I got a prediction, you know? though. Yeah. I got a prediction. I don't think, you know how you said, like, that's, um, 
Spin Butterfly was kind of like his easy, like that album he had to make. Mm-hmm. Of course, it was very relevant to the time, and it was definitely one of the soundtracks to to a movement that was definitely necessary. But I don't think he stays where Damn is. I think he goes elsewhere just creatively. Like I feel like he'll make an album again where it's just literally just him in a pocket, maybe telling the story, but it might not be. It might not get all the commercial success, As and I, I, don't, I don't think he—I don't think he cares about that. You know what I mean? What were your expectations? Yeah, going into Dam, and it's just like so. Yes, Kendrick's told us all these stories over the past seven years. We're wondering what could he have left to say, and then he comes up with the um, the story about Top Dog and like his, his dad. dad. That right. shit blew my mind. It's right. just like he has—he still has shit to say. And then how they how they had the like outro of them reversing it. Yeah. And then they reversed the album and played in the sequence from Duckworth down. When you look at everything TDE, like I said before, like even with J-Rock and him putting out Redemption, you gotta listen to those type of things to understand how all of this comes to play. All right, guys, that's our show for the week. Thank you for tuning into the Everyday Struggle podcast. We'll catch you here every Friday. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Okay, I have two new obsessions that I need to share with you. Impress No Glue Press-On Manny's and Impress Press-On Falsies Lashes. Trust me, these are getting ready game changers. Both require no glue, so there is no damage to your natural nails and lashes, no mess, and no annoying dry times. Just one step and you're done. Boom. Instant glam. Visit impressbeauty.com slash presson and use code PRESSON25 at checkout for 25% off Impress Manicure and Press-On Falsies.